You're listening to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Producer Al. And Ross O'Brien. On today's show, we will be talking about Mike Cole's novel, The Sixteenth Watch. And we will also be interviewing Ben Aranovich. <gasps> Ooh! I still have my Ben Aranovich Lies Sleeping Mug. Good, it's not get broken since last episode. Yeah, which is good, because it's a reusable mug. You're supposed to still have it. Uh, and we still haven't drank the lie sleeping vodka either, which is I think also, you know, very good because literally we record these shows in batches and if I was getting through a bottle of vodka per hour session then there'd be a problem. Or we'd still be doing the night. I'd just like to say I appreciate the fact that the vodka comes in like a very old school style milk bottle type format and it looks like those little things of orange juice you used to get off the milkman. I think if you mistook it for orange juice, you'd have a very, very bad time. Uh, also, you would seriously need an eye test. Yeah, because it's not orange. It's not orange. You could mistake it for water, though. You could mistake it for water. That would also be odd. Yeah, the, the reading comprehension bit of you know, looking at the label on the bottom. Yeah, would be a although I'm going to say there's probably somebody somewhere in like Shoreditch or something who does hipster water that comes in a bottle format like that. We should review more drinks. Anyway, well, see, but that used to be a thing that Dell and I did. We could you do. Just go back to doing that. We can yeah, do it on should. Culture Worm, which is the other podcast that we do that's not associated with Starburst. But you see, you see, plugs are natural for. Shall we do a jingle? Yes. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there were still stories waiting to be told. Force Majeure is an actual play Star Wars podcast, following groups of emergent Force sensitives trying to survive the worst the Outer Rim can throw at them. So if you like action, adventure, thrilling yarns and good tea, you might enjoy Force Majeure. Find us on Twitter at Force Majeure Pod or online at forcemajeurepod.com or wherever you find your podcasts. That was lovely. It was lovely. So I talk- have the feeling that he's just used jingles to put us back on topic. It's shocking what? behaviour. What? I feel these films understand the format of this show. Yeah. We'll be talking to Ben Aranovich about false value later in the show. That's his latest book. Okay. It's got a glow-in-the-dark cover. <gasps> oh. Does it have glow-in-the-dark writing on the pages? I, I mean, I've not that I've checked. So we're still going to need a torch under the duvet. Because I don't read books in the dark. Yeah, but if you had glow-in-the-dark text in a book, you wouldn't need... You'd be able to. Right, so... <laughs> fantasy novels... Yes. Races like Duragar and Drow... Okay. ...have night vision. Yeah. They can see in the dark. Okay. So do they write in glow-in-the-dark ink? They wouldn't need to, because they can already see. No, no, no. They... <laughs> I'm confused by the question. You need light, it's low light vision, you need a level of light to see, so there's like, you know, there's like luminescent mushrooms and things. Mm-hmm. But would the ink itself have to glow? I'd... Or would they use Braille if it's like <sighs> underground? If there a culture that's like lives under... Basically, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Are you suggesting Womble fiction at this point? Because Wombles have light. Wombles do have light. They have lamps and things. Fraggles? That's a good point, actually. Do fraggles live in darkness? No. Is it because the doses make all the, the lighting rigs and stuff? Yes. Okay. I feel like it's too long since I've watched Fraggle Rock to be able to say definitively. I in feel my, like they have sources of light. In my head, 
all the electricity comes from radishes. Because in your head it's quite dark. I mean, that's true. In my head it is quite dark. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I looked personally. I've just heard. But... No, no. In my head it is quite quite dark because if there was any light coming in there I'd need serious medical help. You're quite right. But, but also in a general way, in my head it's quite dark, which is why I write horror for fun. Um, it's also why I'm quite. It's a weird thing. Most horror writers are, 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 are cheerful people. People who write absolutely horrific stories, quite cheerful. They just need an outlet. People who write life affirming stuff, miserable gits to the man, to a man or woman. It's like you know, you sit there and it's like it will will self will write stuff about life, and you sit there going, I don't particularly like you as a human being oneself, but the writing's nice. Um, oh, it was until he discovered you know disappearing up his own bum, which is also quite dark. Shall I get on to the actual book review? Yes. Which is amazing, because we're only five minutes into the show and we're already talking about the book. Look, just because we've been inspired by R.G. Barker on many occasions... Mm. Uh, we haven't done a show about the Bourne Ships. Yet. So, um, by the by, uh, expect more specials coming up as well. Uh, these shows will be coming out approximately once a month. There'll be other stuff as well, so you'll have, hopefully by now you'll have heard the Worldcon show that will have come out. There'll be ones for TitanCon, there'll be ones for EasterCon, and various other little shows that come on. There's a confused look on your face. I mean the one from Dublin. Okay, thank you. So, 16th watch. Right, okay, I've got a question straight away, which is, is this a timepiece, or is this like a police force or something? It's a police force. Okay. Um, so, in the USA, mm-hmm. the Coast Guard is a branch of the military. Of course it is. Okay. Because they're the border patrol, right? Right. Because it's quite a big country, mm-hmm. and mm. the Coast Guard stop people from other countries turning up to mm. smuggle stuff. So it's part of. It's not handled by the Navy. It's handled by the Coast Guard, who are a separate entity. Yeah. I have to be honest. I don't have a clue as to how that works. Mike Cole does because Mike Cole apparently used to work for them. Mm. Uh, Mike Cole has re- previously written. Uh, fantasy. Uh, this is his first sci-fi novel, if I understand it. Um, he is uh, ex-military and, as such, speaks in um, well, speaks in uh, acronyms mostly. And there's a lot of acronyms in this book. And they, you know, they talk about CGMS, which is Coast Guard Messaging Service. Have they given you a glossary at the back of the book? There is COTP, mm. which is the Captain of Port. DC three Damage Controlman, third class. Um, Helium Bray, which right, okay, so I'm not sure how I feel about a fiction book that requires a glossary at the back. I've I've had books with lists of characters at the back. It's fairly really standard for quite a few things. Is it? Yeah, especially in sci-fi. Okay, fair enough. So, but what it's happened to the first fifteen watches. Yes, that is also my, that was one Did of my questions. Thirteen of them, you know, get sabotaged, and two of them disappear mysteriously. In the Bermuda Triangle, maybe. Which is one of those things as a kid at school, I thought it was going to be much more of a thing in my adult life than it actually has been. I thought quicksand was going to be much yes, more of a thing as well. Quick, a quicksand, huge, School's huge just... problem according to our, our education. Yeah, we're just not prepared adequately. No, no, no seriously, you know, the, you, you're right. I thought that was going to be like a whole. I did see a real picture not long ago where someone had apparently painted a, uh, a tunnel uh, on the side of a building and someone had crashed into it. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So that, you know, so... Le- so that learning... is a problem. Yeah. yeah, I mean, learning lessons from Wile E. Coyote is... Yes. I feel like... I mean, that would... Okay, so, I mean, okay, it's it's a proper lesson from Wile E. Coyote and as far as probably the person who drove into it probably didn't know it was a tunnel. <laughs> or wasn't a tunnel. Wasn't a tunnel, yeah. yeah. I think it was somebody else, but yeah. Something... Right, so the reason it's called the 16th Watch, I think... 
It's because there are 15 Coast Guard watch- watches in the US state, and the moon's the 16th watch. Ah. ah. Just like Area 51. So so this is set on the moon. Let okay. me give you let me give you the premise. Okay. It is the near future. Mm-hmm. There are two nations that are currently on the moon that are mining for helium three. Helium three, of course, being the element that is required for nuclear fusion. Okay. I thought we agreed nobody could do that on the moon. Might. It's one of those rules that might apply until we get there. Right. So China are mining for this element that's required to... Isn't that going to destabilise the Earth? In a nuclear fusion sort of way or politically? Both. Both. Okay. Yes. Um, if we, Welcome to the plot. If, if we damage the, the moon significantly... Yes. Yes. Okay. It's, also covered, it's also the plot of H.G. Uh, Wells. One of the H.G. Wells novels covers the moon being shattered. It's a standard sci-fi trope coming in the future in the moons and bits. Okay. Uh, and the we're getting wobbles and we're not getting protected from asteroids the way that we would normally if we because we've got a big shield that protects us which is the, the moon hmm. essentially it stops things from solar radiation it's really good the moon it's really useful to have anyway so obviously we're going to mess that up obviously we're going to mess this up that's not what the, this book's about though. the okay. book's about people trying to make a living by taking their element out of the moon okay. and it's helium so you know it's not that heavy uh, so they're taking helium and they're, they're transporting it across. And kind of what's going on, and this is only very briefly mentioned in the book because it's very pro-American, but one of the things that's mentioned is essentially the Chinese are like mining and the Americans are mining. And the Americans are like, oh, no, we have to have like quarantine for, for lunar travel. Okay. Because various senators have decided that that's a thing that needs to happen. Yeah. Even though it's nonsense because, you know, there's no such thing as moon flu. But that's causing a delay with people travelling, mm-hmm. and that then causes border issues because it's like, well, why are you waiting there? We're trying to. The Chinese are like, move. We're trying to land. What are you doing? Sort of thing. So there's a whole border issue of various various people trying to violate agreements and rules. Right. Hang on. I've got a question. So is the border around American occupied moon, or is it about getting to back to America on Earth? From the moon. All of that. Okay. It's the whole logistics of it, including the territory itself. Right, okay. And you get flare-ups. The book, when the book starts, there's a flare-up between idiot American mm. miners yep. attacking what actually turns out to be an American-Chinese... Uh, so an American piece of property mm-hmm. being run by American-Chinese... Okay. Which is next to a Chinese border. Okay. And then... Idiots turn up with their guns, mm-hmm. and then the Coast Guard turns up, and they're like, "Yeehaw! You're going to help us!" And they're like, "No, put your guns away, you idiots! Stop shooting at each other on the moon." Do guns work on the moon? Yes. Bullets cause quite a lot of damage. You can, mm-hmm. you can punch holes in things. Horrifically so. Yeah, you shoot it inside something, you might ricochet something, and then bust through a, uh, a you know pressurized thing, and therefore people stop being able to breathe. Yeah. Uh. It sort of feels to me though that if if there are fifteen patrols protecting the borders of the US just from, you know, the two D idea here is the sea, rather than things like the air and other ways of getting into the country, that there ought to be at least more than one for dealing with the moon. It's just the general name for the division that's called. Okay. Maybe there's a lot of them. Yeah, might be a big one, yeah. So as the book opens, mm-hmm. there is a tragedy which causes the Coast Guard to essentially back away. Because the Coast Guard is the least military mm. of the military wings, and they back away. They have least less to do, which means the Navy kind of picks up. What about the... Space Force? Yeah, I was thinking. Where's Space that. Force? So this book just ignores Space Force. 
Well, they've got a logo that looks a bit like Star Trek and or Blake 7, depending on which way you look That's at not it. the best bit about Space Force. Go on. It's the fact that they've got uniforms which, have got, which are khaki camo colours. Oh. You're thinking, why do you think that's camouflage colours in space? Yeah. They got very annoyed by that, by the way. Yeah, somebody pointed out, well, hang on, we've got a, we've got a solution to it. We're going to pick the entire inside of the ship in camo colours. Therefore, if you board them, you won't be able to tell where the people are, where the, you know, the people come to fight you are. So most of what Space Force are doing is uh, protecting Earthbound space assets. This is why they're in camouflage colours, like the rest of the military. Also money, um, because they're not very big at this point. Mm. But I'm all currently watching Next in Fashion on Netflix, and they could have, like printed themselves some appropriate camo. Uh, don't 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 start. Don't see because we get into the concept of digi camo, which is a thing. And I have somewhere in the the vast There's lots of ones and zeros. Like I mean, it wasn't, and I had a whole bit. <laughs> but the idea of being able to have cover yourself in ones and zeros and disguise yourself in like a server room, so like you can, <laughs> you can stealth onto the internet yeah. just wearing your ones and zeros yeah. camo. Yeah, that's how that works. Yes, because you, you know why you get slow internet, don't you? Because like, so the zeros are round and they go in really quickly down the pipe, the, the the wires, but the ones get stuck in the kinks, which is why you need straight like, straight wires. Surely the ones would go, so, you know, would be really quick because they're little and narrow. No, but whereas the got, zeros are bigger. They've got the thing. They've got the thing. They've got the little. They've got the base. They've got the base in the point of it. So they can't go through the middle of the zeros. No. Oh no, no, no that, that'll make it quicker. That, that you, should, you have to unkink the line. What is it? All goes wrong. Uh, the, 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 I, I have questions about that phrasing, but yeah, the, the, the zeros can just roll, whereas the ones have to like be shoved. You see, and if you go in, if you if you if you get science, if you get a one, <laughs> if you get a one and a zero too many times, that's how you end up with twos. Once again, we need more science people. Anyway, <laughs> you know that thing where you review a book and we try and stop you. I think we're doing really well. At this I think watch. we're winning this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even gotten to half the plot at this point. Right, so where are we? So, Coast Guard in space. Space! space on the moon. And they are desperately trying to... What basically happens is, a tragedy happens. The Navy take over. The Navy are not very good at subtle. Okay. Cause they're, I think they're, I need more theremin music. Because they're, they're all gung-ho. So they're all running around being gung-ho. Really? Because my feeling, my personal feeling is that, like, in terms of US military forces that the army and the marines are pretty gung-ho the navy's a bit more chill i mean that's just my personal the marines are the navy i thought they were a separate thing so it's basically the the naval forces when they deal with border issues Mm -hmm. aren't subtle and they just end up causing making the problem slowly but surely getting worse so the coast guard turned around and basically we should be in charge of this we need to be in charge of this to make this work Uh, unfortunately the senate are giving the funds to the navy this is where we get to the next wrinkle in this futuristic world, which is the near future, one of the most popular TV shows are military games. So military training operations are watched the same way that people watch esports and sports. Okay. okay. So watching teams of watching teams of fit young American ar- army trainees run across a run across a um, assault course, assault course mm-hmm. racing fit young navy people are surprisingly popular in this world i wonder why hang on we have that we have that yes with the cannons and the thing yes we have that it's a tv show you're looking at me whilst like i'm completely away with the fairies but this is genuinely a tv show where the army take on the navy and there's cannons and they have to get a cannon over the wall and it's a recreation of something from like 250 years ago in is the it british military. 
I feel like it's connected to the to the Edinburgh Tattoo. It might not be. It's definitely a thing. It was on TV all the time when I was a kid, and I used to watch it. I think I was looking at you because I was thinking, I don't remember there being an awful lot of, say, televised paintball happening on screen, but... There so, is, but so there should be because why not? In this world, one of the, the most popular shows is one that's to do with boarding actions, mm-hmm. essentially in space. So they take out of retirement a lady called Jane Oliver, also known as Widow Jane, due to tragedy. Okay, um, and she's an older lady. She's she's not very far away from retirement, um, but she is the best teacher of boarding actions the Coast Guard have. She's brilliant. Okay. Um, she's barely qualifies for space suitability for space because of her age right um, and she's made an admiral and sent to the moon to train some young people to to be the best they can be okay meanwhile there's other factions who are basically salivating at the prospect of war with the Chinese because they're like oh it's going to kick off it's going to kick off anytime soon and they're like no like what needs to happen is this admiral needs to train some young people to win a reality TV show so they get the contract so war doesn't happen are you with me so far that's the premise of the book okay how does winning the contract make sure the war doesn't happen because then the Coast Guard will be responsible and they'll be able to handle things like grown ups rather than just shooting first gotcha right okay yep is the general implication. Okay. But things go wrong. Um, well, it's a 300-page novel, so if all of that got sorted out in the first 10 pages, it'd be boring. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is about the training and the, the very... So, like, various characters... That sounds a bit trudgy. It is a bit of a trudge at the start, and then we could meet the rest of the team, and then it gets a bit fun. Um, I enjoyed it. I've never, read, I've never read a Mike Cole novel before. I understand he does, like, modern day stuff as well he does fantasy stuff he did stuff like Armored Saint um, I've seen him on Twitter I quite like him on Twitter he's quite fun hmm. um, I think that's where I've seen the name mostly it wasn't what I was expecting uh, there's a lot of swearing there's a lot of hoorah uh, kind of American stuff and there's a lot of as we discussed earlier like people turn so there's bits where there's bits where someone is like literally trying to avoid a close quarters combat fight, and it's all beautifully descriptive, d- described, and they're all like the NGOG and weapons going off, and people are trying to figure out what to do, and people are trying to save lives, and it's all very exciting. And then four pages later, they're talking in acronyms about procedure and law, and who had the right of way, and what paperwork needs to be done, and it's a bit of a whiplash at certain points because you're just like yes no what form 57a what sort of thing so the, 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 there's a bit of that where you're just like yeah the, the the writing is smooth the story isn't okay is it I mean they're actually using Americans and Chinese in this story yes so how culturally sensitive shall I say is it uh. so one of the characters one of the characters it's never explicit no it is explicit said one of the characters on the American side, is Chinese American. Do you get American Chinese? I'm just curious. Sorry, that's good. Thank you. Well, what's the difference? Uh, you'd be an American who would. No, American first, and then the, the, this this character is, Amer- is an American of Chinese descent. Yeah, but you presume you get Chinese with American descent. No, yes, no. of course you do. Mm. You you, you yeah, get Americans who 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 live mm. whose families moved to China. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't hear the phrase that often. No, no, you don't. No. But that's probably because we get a lot of American media too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But there's a, there's a whole guy I was reading about whose uh, family he moved to be an actor, and he's mostly the uh, American guy in a lot of Chinese movies, and that his kids are also now the American guys and girls mm. in a lot of Chinese movies. 
I can't remember his name, but I'm sure someone will tell us. Um, but yes, so there's a lot of. I mean, I've just pulled two pages out at random. Uh, there's lots of capital letters. Damage the book. Yeah. There's lots of capital letters of Ostracen and Space Tablet and Saw One, and you're like, okay. And eventually, you figure out what, what all of that means. I enjoyed it honestly, and I'm not putting sunshine up my cool's bum. I want someone to make this into a Netflix series. I was reading it, and it's like, I'm enjoying this, but you know what? I'd much rather be watching it. It's one of those books that feels like it. it's not written like a movie pitch mm. at all. It's written like a really good military sci-fi novel for fans of mill sci-fi who like more military than sci-fi. Yeah, but it's it's the, the what's what's presumably what's going on in it is easily depicted. It's yeah. not one of those where you've got to be inside someone's head or not to get to follow a lot of the plot. This is a book that you would give to a friend of yours who who reads books that are all about you know military experience mm. and they're like my experiences in this war and this sort of thing and but they aren't sci-fi you'd give them this book to get them into sci-fi yeah. you'd probably give them this and then you'd give them some some Alastair Reynolds maybe or some Ian M. Banks to kind of slowly but surely build that wedge but this is the thin, thin wedge for you your military reading fans mm. to, to get them into sci-fi um, but I'd much rather be watching it I'd much rather be watching this book than it's like The Expanse. I like reading The Expanse. The series series is a different experience. Though this is not a te- though this is not a movie pitch. It's not like uh, Ernest Klein's Amada or Ernest Klein's Ready Player One or Ernest Klein's Shopping List, but all of which are attempts to try and make another Spielberg movie. It's not like that. It's a proper book. But I really hope that someone somewhere on Netflix, Amazon, Disney yeah. Plus, Now TV, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because Now TV is renowned for its budget for programming. Yeah. Um, the BBC, you say, might be interested? Oh, t- oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you'd take them, but, oh, God, that's going to bite me in the bottom at some point, isn't it? But, um, yeah, no, uh, I recommend reading it to people who would want to read it. Uh, it's on Angry Robot. <laughs> Uh, I, As opposed I recommend to... this book to its target audience. <laughs> yeah, I recommend this book to its... If you like Matt Cole, yes. If you like a military sci-fi, yes. If you like military sci-fi because you have political opinions, yes, because it's not going to upset you. Uh, if you like, if you don't like military sci-fi because it's got political opinions, yes, because it's not going to upset you. It's military sci-fi. It's very pure in its approach to everything. Um, they are goodies and baddies. The baddies are the people who want the world to be a work more violent place the algorithms and the people who just want to save lives that's not a complicated equation for me uh i enjoyed it good Good. uh lieutenant colonel google uh informs me that the cultural memory i was grasping for that ross was looking at me like i was making this up potentially is the royal navy's field gun competition which was um staged as part of the royal tournament uh, which pretty much ended in 1999. It came back for a couple of revivals uh, in the early 2010s, but this was a thing that ran for like well over 100 years. There were various different versions of the Royal Navy's field gun competition. Uh, the one that we used to watch on telly when we were kids uh, it is based, weirdly, uh, on a real thing that happened in the siege of Ladysmith during the Second Boer War. Hang on, so this is a cannon? Yeah. You, you must have seen this. I have, but let me... Because they have someone on HMS Collingwood. They have a, HMS Collingwood has its own version. Yes. I, I actually think I've probably seen it. Because I've been on yes. the Calliope. It's a different conversation. Calliope's a pub, by the way. It's not an actual ship. But it's an HMS Calliope. 
Okay. It's on the t- it's on Anyway. The- anyway. Um, listeners are like, what? And it's like, yeah, there, there are some naval Anyway, the fieldman France. competition, which you were asking me about. Humpty Dumpty. Yes. Had a great fall. Yes. Was a gun. Yes. Any any connection? Don't know. The, the, that's where I was going with that. It's, right. It's Humpty Dumpty, who is a, a, a literary fictional character and therefore relevant to our show. See, while I sat over here, I figured out how to speed up the internet. We'd need to make the ones go faster down the tube. Change the font. Genius. Yeah, <laughs> that would work. Yeah. So... <laughs> I think on that, shall we talk to Ben Aranovich? <laughs> yes. If you want to subject him to that. Let's talk to the lovely author. So, Ben Aranovich, welcome to Brave New Words. Hello. Um, so, gosh, tell us all about False Money. <laughs> Why does everyone always start with, like, describe your book? Because A, like, being the eighth book in the series, I can't describe it without too many spoilers. And B, B, I... If I could sum- summarise it in like two sentences, I wouldn't have had to write 96,000 words. <laughs> Let's just say that Peter Grant, and if you don't know who Peter Grant is, you need to go to the Wikipedia page. Peter Grant, on suspension, is, is, is temporarily working security for a tech company in Silicon Roundabout, that's the old street roundabout in London, and um, discovers that there are things going on that link back to his old job. So there's an awful lot of very geeky, very techy um, history and ideas flying in this this book. Where did that come from, and how how long have you been itching to put that sort of thing into a novel? I well, I mean, for a start, I I actually have to be physically restrained for putting geeky references into my books. It's not like I you know I think oh I think I'll put some geeky references into my book. I'm one of those people that. I can't hear a phrase with that. If it sounds anything vaguely like a phrase from a film or something, I immediately think so. You know, I'm constantly, constantly thinking I need a nice clean dispersion and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and, and the Emperor's new groove is a constant comfort. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I know, I don't, I don't really think like that. That's not that just is intrinsic to the writing and the setting. Uh, I've always been a bit cautious of tech because tech's very difficult. It's not actually my area, tech. And so, therefore, it's actually you have to do quite a lot of research to get it right. Otherwise, tech people who are very active on the internet will will email you and tell you exactly where you went wrong, as I'm expecting them to do in vast quantities, including um, I'm expecting people to tell me that nobody uses cubicles anymore, but I like cubicles, so I had cubicles, despite the fact that everyone's hot desking in open plan offices now. So we have a we have a tech bro billionaire who's trying to save the world in this novel. Yes. Again. From Australia. From Australia. Again, where where did you draw from, and what? There feels like there's a little bit of a kind of stab. Well, no, there's, 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 there's like a little bit of Elon Musk. There's a little bit of of be it Bezos. Um, there's slightly more you know the slightly more obscure tech pros that you don't hear about who are just as rich but aren't doing anything particularly flashy. You know, Bill Gates, that whole kind of like disruptor mentality that, that the tech bros have. And I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, you know, Elon Musk is the one that comes to attention because he's the noisiest, but they're, they're all out there. They're all out there proposing that we, you know, they, there's, a, there's a joke, a transit joke, that every so often a tech bro will propose that what we need, really need to do with cars is make them longer, 
have more people on them, and then maybe they could run on rails, and they could be, I don't know what we'd call that, but, you know, at this time, they, thank God you've reinvented the tram, guys. <laughs> and, you know, there's lots of jokes like that, and, and they think, like a lot of very intelligent people who have been very successful, that because they've been, they're very intelligent in one field, and very successful, they're very intelligent in all fields, including kind of human interaction, and they're not. And they, 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 they run into these barriers, but nobody dares ever say, no, that's a really stupid idea. And so they just go on. I've noticed that almost in all of the books, at some point, Peter gets a quote wrong. Is that you or is that Peter? That's Peter. <laughs> I knew exactly where that quote came from. I looked it up. <laughs> but um, yeah, he gets a quote wrong because people do. People constantly get quotes wrong, they, you know, and, and if you're like me and you know the quote and you kind of grind your teeth as they misquote it or something. So, I can't help but notice that Peter gets beaten up a lot in these series. He doesn't get beaten up at all in this one. I, I don't think so. Well, not beaten up. I mean, like, you know, he gets in a fight or two. Beaten up is when you're lying on the ground and people are kicking you. Uh, yeah. Getting punched in the nuts in the course of a fight is just, you know, standard police work. <laughs> How, how do you get into it? Because obviously you have a great fondness for your characters. At what point do you decide that to, you have to make their lives worse? I don't. I'm not one of those writers. I'm not one of those writers who, who thinks like you create a great character and then torture them. Um, I, I like my characters. And I, I, I cry every time something bad happens. But unfortunately they have difficult jobs. So I kind of just get led by the situations they get themselves into, rather than saying to myself, how will I make his life difficult? I just say, well, he, then he does this. Then the situation calls for him to do this, and then this is how that will go wrong, because things will go wrong. How many stories do you have with Peter set in your head? I don't work like that. Uh, I, I usually know what the next book is, with, the next Peter book is going to be, halfway through the, the Peter book I'm currently writing. And then I usually have like a vague idea. For example, um, I'm still writing the Abigail book, but the next piece of Grant book I know will be called um, Amongst Our Weapons. And then the one after that will be set in Aberdeen. But I have no idea why. <laughs> I know it's, it's set in Aberdeen. I can feel a story. You can sort of like feel a story and then you kind of grope for it. It's like, it's basically, you know that game you have where you have like a big, bag and you stand to your hand and you like grope around looking for some, some present in it. It's kind of like that. Or or, or a bit like the, the um, Flash Gordon thing where, where you stick your hand in a tree and it stings you. And it kills Peter Duncan. Yes. Is that who it was? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I always remember that. Like the most pointless fucking initiation ceremony on God's green earth. Or on Mongo, really. Apparently Sam Jones actually has the the, the beastie. <laughs> I would keep it. He's got it mounted on the plinth. <laughs> See the advantage of being a popular actor. So we've got we, we've had a uh, we've had the novella October Man takes takes place in the broader world. Are we going to see more outside the folly in time to come? Well, I mean, we've got an Abigail novella next, and we've got a, a Reynolds novella. Is the next novella after that, and then we have. Um, uh, a, a historical Nightingale novella. So the novellas are basically there so I can write outside the folly, basically. That's what they're for. Where? If, it sounds like a ridiculous question, but if you were casting Nightingale, who do you picture in your head? I don't. I don't, because I'm terrible at actors. 
I never remember their names. And anyway, it's a question of who's going to be available. I, I'm very practical. Because I started in television, I don't think in terms of fantasy casting, because I know all too well that there's no such thing as fantasy casting. You get the actor who's available at the time who can do the job, right? And who's cheap enough. So, going back onto your, your, your TV career... Would you ever go back to Doctor Who? I'd go back to Doctor Who. They're never going to have me, though. So, it's, you know, it's like, I would probably say yes in a second. I don't know, but I don't think they're ever going to ask me back. How would you approach a story that featured both a classic BBC character and Peter Grant? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't imagine sort of like trying to force Peter Grant into to say Doctor Who, I wouldn't try that but I would like to put him in Death in Paradise <laughs> I'd like him to be like the guest inspector in the in Death in Paradise Is that not just an excuse to give him like you know, a nice day off? No, God, no, no that, excuse to give me a nice day off in, in, I'd have to go and do research there's no way, I'd have to go to Guadeloupe and have a look around But Are there any projects or ideas outside of the, the Peter Grant novels that you're itching to yeah, I have a couple of secondary world fantasies I'd quite like to do, um, and uh, and a space opera. But whether they'll ever get done, I don't know. I kind of work on them in my spare time, but I don't really have very much spare time. I'd quite like to do the space opera. I, I have this thing, and it's a mad space opera, that I do because nobody's nobody's asked for it, nobody's expecting it, it's not under any kind of contract. And so I just write it for fun, and it allows me to do, when the mood takes me to do some writing that's not has no expectations attached to it. Same more serious question, the, the Peter Grant novels are set in, in Britain and they're very British and Britain seems to be changing an awful lot recently. How are you planning to write into the, the changing landscape of the United Kingdom? I shall just write and see what happens. I haven't got to Brexit yet so we're still in 2016 so we've still got a couple of years before we have to worry about that. Some um, kind of Daft questions, just to just to keep going. If you could save one piece of art, it can be music, it can be a book, it can be anything, and it would survive until the sun goes out, what would it be? The Emperor's New Groove. Because then I could have something to laugh at for is eternity. It, is it the Disney or is it the Lamas? I, it's just very funny. I can quote it off by heart. Why do we even have that lever? See? That's why that is why I would keep it because all I had to say was that yeah just for the record he he, he would have cracked up if he hadn't and he got the, you got the reference straight away didn't yeah, you absolutely. yeah exactly um, if you didn't want a trampoline why did you let me set it up before she said so <laughs> such a good yeah <laughs> um, if you got to very quickly go back in time and talk to yourself when you were sixteen what would you say and would you listen. Invest in Microsoft. Would you have listened? Don't know. Possibly. I mean, you meet yourself. You're about to take yourself a little bit seriously. Go on a diet. I don't know. So, um, how are you finding the tour so far, and how do you find touring in general? I like touring, although, God, it's hard work in winter. It's much harder work in winter than it is in summer. I'm going to see if I can arrange for my books to come out. Slightly more salubrious time of year next time. 
how, how does that work actually when it comes for you to producing a novel? Because you're saying you've got several projects going off at once. How do you how do you find the focus? So you're one of those writers that's always writing. Or do you I'm always it? writing, but I'm always writing one project. I can't skip to backwards and forwards between projects. The the side projects are really just fun things I do on the side. They're not serious projects. In terms of serious writing, if I have to do something like, for example, the comic, I will set aside like weeks, a couple of weeks, to actually write an issue of the comic. So I stop doing what I'm doing and I do two weeks and then I go back. I can't. I found if I try and do two things at once, I just don't do either. And some really dumb questions just to, to finish off. Okay. Uh, llamas or cam- camels? Are they? Llamas or camels? Oh, camels. Simpsons or Futurama? It's Simpsons. Death Stars or Dragons? Death Stars. Doctor Who or Doctor No? Doctor Who. And finally, Truth or Beauty? Truth. Ganovanovich, it's a pleasure. Thank you. They were lovely. They were. So, uh, read Starburst magazine. It's great. It's available. <laughs> oh, product placement. Oh, How we wow. like you. It, it, it's available where all it's good news agents are. Uh, it's uh, also available where all chaotic neutral and chaotic goods, true neutral, possibly lawful evil. I don't know. I don't know what alignment news agents have, but all good bookshops. Uh, there are many different conflicting theories as to the origin of what Humpty Dumpty is supposed to be. One of those is there is a siege engine used unsuccessfully to approach the walls of the parliamentary held city of Gloucester in 1643 during the siege of Gloucester in the English Civil War. Um, but the evidence is sketchy. But there isn't a reality TV show where various competing uh, military branches try and put Humpty Dumpty together again in order to stop a war on the moon. No, like... but they do have to take the, the gun apart and put it back together again at the other end. I was going to say, I thought that was an episode of Taskmaster. I mean, it could be. Yeah. That would, that would be a great episode. I can't believe that we've hit a tangent at the end of the show when we're trying to say goodbye. Uh, yeah, the cannon thing comes from Colchester, Siege of 1648. Fantastic. Anytime. Mike Call fans, take note. Uh, Mike Call's Humpty Dumpty is coming out never. Uh <laughs> And it's looking slightly exasperated. <laughs> but we've fulfilled the purpose of the show. We've fulfilled our remit. I uh, think we should count this one as a victory because Arthur, yeah. Arthur doesn't win this to very often. No, it's not. It's a victory. So, so on all of that, I'm going to say goodbye and also drink some of that light sleeping vodka at this point. So um, goodbye from me. Goodbye from us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>